Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 35 today. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Well, the wait is over. It is Christmas Day. For some of us, we've been counting the days since Thanksgiving, maybe before. For many people, Christmas is a day that fosters much anticipation and excitement, and for various reasons. For kids, it's likely the presents. For some parents, it's likely the reuniting with maybe some adult children or seeing grandchildren. Maybe it's the food. There are many reasons that we look forward to this season, and perhaps there are some that may be gathered today that aren't so anxious for this season because of other reasons. But in a much different way and for a much different reason, there was a man some 2,000 years ago that also anticipated, we could say, Christmas. This day when the Messiah would come into the world. This man was waiting. His name was Simeon. He was a godly man that walked faithfully with the Lord, and he had been given a direct message from the Lord. He was told that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was a man who had long awaited this day. For how long, we're not sure. Israel, the nation, had been waiting for hundreds of years. Simeon was now waiting for this moment when he would see the Messiah. And that day finally had arrived. Let's look now at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I want to read verses 22 through 35, and let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They, being Joseph and Mary, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts 
may be revealed. You may be seated. Let's pray again, asking for the Lord's blessing. Father, as we open your word and seek to hear from it, we pray that this same Holy Spirit who was present in Simeon's life would now be present in us to help us not only see and hear your word, but to be changed by it. We pray this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So when you think about Simeon, what are we, th- what are we to think about him? Or maybe what are we more specifically to think about his song, his prophetic utterance there in the, in the temple as he took Jesus in his arms and celebrated the birth? There are several great themes that come from this song, we could say, that Simeon declared as he held the baby Jesus in his hands looking upon the Lord's Christ. Several things that really resonate in his heart uh, that we could say that, that mark this song. It, we could say, and I'm, this is pretty much going to be our, our, our outline this morning, it's a song of faith. It's a song of salvation. And it's a song of division. It's a song of faith. It's a song of salvation. And it was a song of division. So I want us to consider these aspects of this song in light of Christ and what it was Simeon was ultimately celebrating. Let's look at this together. It was a song of faith. It was a song of faith. Conditions in Israel during the time of Jesus' birth weren't the best. Israel had lost its political independence to Rome. It was marked by religious corruption. And any hope of God's promised Messiah had long seemed to fade since the last word from the prophets had been some 400 years prior. But not everyone despaired. There were still some who still anticipated and longed for that deliverance. There were some who who refused to participate in the religious corruption, and there were some who still held firmly to the hope that the prophets had declared. Simeon was among them. We don't know too much about Simeon or his personal background. Some think that he was a priest. We're not told that. Indications seem to lean that way, but we're not exactly sure about his background. What we are told here in Luke's gospel is that he was a righteous, spirit-filled man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was actively waiting for God to send his promised Messiah. To think about that for a minute, this is kind of a, a sidebar. But Simeon is a great reminder that even when the days are dark, when the days are corrupt, when the days are marked by evil, things look bleak, he's a reminder that even in those days, God will always have a witness for himself. Simeon's a great reminder and encouragement to us, even now as we live in such days, that that God will always have a remnant. God will always have have a, a people for himself, a witness for himself to declare hope in him. So when you might find yourself feeling lonely in your faith, maybe you're surrounded in the workplace with unbelieving people. 
Maybe your, your family. Maybe Christmas is difficult. Because even in those family gatherings, many of your family don't quite rejoice in the same way as you do. Maybe you often feel lonely. But friend, know that God has you and people like you, even when you might seem to be in the minority. As we made mention of earlier, Simeon had been given a direct revelation from God that he would not die until he had personally seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And as Luke gives us a glimpse into Simeon's life, we see a man filled with hope and anticipation. Now remember, any word from God, any prophetic statement had been 400 years in the past. It's been silent. And here we have this man anxiously waiting for God to do as he had promised. A man who patiently and confidently waited upon the Lord to reveal the promised Savior. Now, for most of the people of Israel, it was likely that they had given up hope. All they could see was the political power of Rome and the daily oppression they experienced, but not Simeon. He, too, lived under the same political oppression. He, too, had to pay more in taxes than he wanted. He, too, wanted to see Rome leave, most likely. He, too, wanted a better life for himself, but he lived his life in a contented anticipation of God's promise. Not only did he patiently wait for God's promised Savior once he saw him, he said, it's enough. I'm ready to die, ready to be with the Lord. I love what the great Anglican J.C. Ryle said about Simeon. He said, Simeon speaks like a person for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. Simeon speaks like a person for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. It was a faith, Simeon had a faith laying hold of an unseen Savior and faith resting on the promises of an unseen God. Friends, as we come to this very day of Christmas, let us remember that we too can lay hold of the promises of God with the utmost confidence. You might be tempted to say, well, Simeon had, had it easy. He had a direct word from God. I mean, God audibly in some way spoke to him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that this would happen. So, so he kind of had one up on us. No wonder he was waiting. If God would just speak like that to me, maybe I would have more hope and more confidence. Friend, let me remind us that we not only have a direct word from God, we have a perfect word from God, from the same Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Scripture, which is a direct revelation that is complete in its fullness, the revelation of what Christ would come to do. You know, Simeon would not see Jesus nailed to a cross. Simeon would likely not see this. He would likely not see an empty tomb. He would, he would not have the promises given to us throughout the rest of the New Testament and see the marvelous promise of God revealed to us in that wonderful final book of Revelation. And yet, he fully trusted for, in God to do what he said he would do. 
Friends, we've been given the entire story from beginning to end. And we too are waiting. We're waiting for the Messiah to come. The second time. The final time. To make all things new. Just as Sure, as God fulfilled his word to Simeon, he will fulfill his word to us. Do you live with a confident faith in the promises of God? Christmas is like this big stamp of endorsement that God is faithful to his word. Yes, it's about all of the things that we sing of and, 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 and are reminded of, but if we could summarize this, this is as if God is saying, I did as I promised. I brought you salvation. I brought you a savior. Do you live with confidence in God's promises, no matter what might be unfolding around you? You see, friends, Jesus is the only true source of hope and of peace. You may be looking for hope and for peace in all kinds of ways. But you're not going to find lasting hope and lasting peace outside of Christ. You might find some kind of temporary contentment. You might find some kind of temporary happiness and pleasure. But friends, listen, you will not find eternal joy anywhere else except Christ. Simeon's song was a song of faith, but it was also a song of salvation. A song of salvation. While most of the Jews had long wanted a political revolution, they wanted a political savior. Maybe someone who had promised to make Israel great again. This was not the hope of Simeon, though. Simeon looked for a much different savior, which is clearly revealed here in, in the second half of his song. See, he begins to reflect upon the salvation that God had prepared and now had given. I want you to see several things about this salvation that Simeon anticipated and now saw. Number one, it's a salvation God prepared. It's a salvation God prepared. Simeon declares, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. Get the pronouns right. Your salvation that you have prepared. Listen, <clears throat> salvation is a work of God from beginning to end, period. You and I would not have salvation were it not for God. Salvation is a complete work of God. Salvation is not something man creates or somehow achieves on his own. It's, salvation is not something brought about because we somehow make our way back to God. No, it comes about because God has chosen in his grace to make his way to us. He left the throne room of heaven in all of its splendor and perfection and glory and came to a, to a corrupted earth, a mess. And this plan of God existed even before the world was made. I can't get my mind around that. It's not as if God made the world and began to see how things were going and then he's kind of doing correctives along the way. God prepared this salvation. 
This Christmas story is God's story. It's the unfolding of God's predetermined plan. And therefore, God and God alone is to receive the glory for the salvation that he has brought. You know, my wife is a great cook. I love it when she makes dinner, but yesterday she was making, or the day before, you know, Christmas cookies and those kind of things that aren't so good for the body, but they're really good for the taste buds. And when she makes something, and I'm reminded to, re, to tell her how good it is, I don't, you know, or if I'm talking about how good of a cook my wife is to someone else, I don't say, wow, you know, she made this great meal, and were it not for my wonderful taste buds, and I got some excellent taste buds, you know, if it weren't for these excellent taste buds, this, this ham or this turkey or these cookies or this pie, it just wouldn't have tasted the same. She did a good job, but my taste buds really just made the day. If I was to go up to Jennifer and say, honey, this is a great, great cook, great, great meal, I'm glad I have these taste buds. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? No, what I would want to do is to say, what a wonderful meal you prepared. How blessed we are to eat such good food because you made it. It's giving the credit where credit is due. As we are called to do that when it comes to salvation. This is not something we make. This is not something we accomplish. This is something God prepared. Therefore, he is to receive the glory and the honor. Salvation God prepared. Number two, it's a salvation Jesus accomplished. Now, while there's enough in the song there in verses 29 through 32 to reflect upon what Jesus has done, I think it would prove us well to go back to verses 21 through 24 for just a moment. If you go back even before the the text that I began in verse 22, it says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And the time came, verse 22, for their purification according to the law of Moses. I want you to note the number of times here, according to the law of Moses, according to the law of the Lord. I want you to note here the, 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 the care and attention that Joseph and Mary gave in honoring God's law. Even before Jesus was able to walk and actually obey the things of God's law for himself, he had these parents that were recognizing the instructions given to them by God's law and were coming in obedience to that law. It seems that Luke goes out of his way to emphasize this. You're right. I mean, you're thinking, okay, let's get past the turtle does and let's get past the law of Moses. Jesus did away with that. He's here now. So let's just push that aside. No, 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 no. Don't push that aside so quickly. This is This is something that we see that Jesus is accomplishing even now through the hands of his earthly parents. Seems that Luke goes out of his way to emphasize how Mary and Joseph followed the commands and ceremonies of the law. Three particularly highlighted here. 
Verse 21, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Verse 22, we, we, we see Mary's purification based upon Leviticus chapter 12. When a, woman was re, when, a woman, when a woman gave birth, she was required to offer a burnt offering 40 days after giving birth. It's exactly why they're at the temple. Verse 22, the presentation of the firstborn to God. We could go back to Exodus 13 and Numbers chapter 18. So right here you see three examples of Joseph and Mary, now with Jesus, obeying the law of God. We're told that Mary and Joseph brought with them two pigeons or two turtle doves for the sacrifice. The instructions in the law were that they were to bring a lamb. But if they couldn't afford a lamb, they could do two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so right here, you see, you see some, some indication of the poverty in which Jesus was born into. This is a lower class family. They couldn't afford a lamb. And get this, get this wonderful gospel irony right here. Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, seeking to live in accordance with God's law, seeking to bring this sacrifice for Mary's purification, bring with them two pigeons instead of a lamb because they couldn't afford a lamb, afford a lamb. Sacrifices being presented like all sacrifices before, pointing to the one who would ultimately come and be the one sacrifice once and for all. Get this, Mary couldn't afford to bring a lamb that day for her purification, but all the while she had the lamb of God in her arms at the temple that day. See, this is a salvation that Simeon knew Jesus had come to accomplish. God had prepared it, and Jesus now came to secure it. But three, it's a salvation that all nations would know. It's a salvation all nations would know. In Simeon's song, Jesus is recognized as God's salvation. Notice, as Simeon takes Jesus in his arms, he blessed God. For my eyes, verse 30, have seen your salvation. Jesus was not just the one who came to give salvation, he was salvation itself. He is further described in the text as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A light of revelation is simply that the Gentiles were also in view of God's redemption even when they didn't necessarily expect it this way. For glory to your people Israel, Jesus would bring salvation and he would come through, primarily through the Jewish people and through them to the rest of the world. But what's most important here is that Simeon recognizes the global scope of God's salvation. It was a salvation for all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike. This was a redemption that God had prepared, Jesus came to accomplish, and it was to extend to the far reaches of the world. This little child that Simeon held up in his arms was not a Jewish political revolutionary like so many desired. He was the one who would reconcile sinners from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. That has so many implications of how we ought to live our lives as a Christian. It should inform how we do ministry. It means our vision must be global. It means our vision must look to the Jews and the Gentiles. 
This was a salvation. It was a song of salvation, a salvation that God prepared. God, therefore, gets the glory. It was a salvation that Jesus came to accomplish. Through him and him alone are we saved. And it was a salvation that would reach to all peoples of the world. But last, it was a song of division. Two things that probably come to your mind when you hear me say that this was a song of division. One, how can it be a song that divides when you just said his salvation is for all peoples? And two, why would you say something like that on Christmas? And that's your last point. Why would you end on such a sour note? I'm just following the text. Note that it's so sour when we begin to understand exactly what God has done. First of all, it is true that Jesus came to save sinners from all nations, but that doesn't mean that every person from every nation will be saved. The gospel must be proclaimed, and people must repent of their sins and trust in him through faith. Second, as Christians, we shouldn't be so much concerned with having a holly jolly Christmas as much as we are with an honest, joyful Christmas. And Christmas time is one of those times where, where we, we, we sometimes lose perspective of, real, of, of the reality of what's going on in our world and the reality of what Jesus came to bring. You know, as Mary and Joseph heard these things from Simeon, they marveled at the things Simeon was declaring about Jesus. And then in verse 34, Simeon turned to Mary and said these very real and sobering words, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Friends, even though we might be tempted to think of Jesus as that sweet baby in a manger, the fact is that he's the great dividing point in human history and for all humanity. Behold, this child is appointed for the rising and fall, for the fall and rising of many. By him, through Jesus, men will either rise or they will fall. great truth about Christ is that he will impact every soul that has ever lived on the planet. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, it's nice to be here, but really Jesus doesn't have that much to do with me. He has everything to do with you. You will either rise because of him or you will fall because of him on that last and final day. You see, we need to be honest about Jesus. He's the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. While Simeon is affirming the universal scope of Jesus' salvation, that it will reach to the ends of the earth, he is also acknowledging the exclusive nature of his salvation. 
Ultimately, the only those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ will be rescued and therefore rise in the resurrection. And if not, people will fall because of their sin and because of their rebellion against a holy God, and they will be held accountable. Friends, listen. Jesus is only good news to those who've responded to him in faith. If you've not responded to Christ in faith, he will be your judge on that great and final day. I'm not sure if you've ever thought of Christmas in these terms, but it's the honest assessment of God's revelation to us. Here's the truth we all need to know. All of us have been born into sin and are by nature enemies of God. Our sinful nature automatically separates us from God and warrants God's righteous judgment. But the reason the angels proclaim Jesus' birth as good news of great joy for all people, and the reason Simeon was able to bless God rejoicing in the arrival of the Messiah was because of what God had chosen to do despite our rebellion against him. This is why it's good news. Despite our sin and despite our rebellion against a holy and righteous creator, God still, still chose to send his son into the world to be our savior. He still chose to pursue us. We're told in the Bible that God so loved the world in John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You see how even there in John three, Jesus is the dividing mark. Some rise and some fall. And then John says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And Jesus is the light of the world. You, you will either be drawn to him and love him and see him as the most beautiful, awesome thing that has ever happened in this world and to you and therefore trust in him fully for your salvation or you will continue to love your evil deeds and live in darkness. There's no, there's no middle ground. Sometimes we wanna make a middle ground, don't we? Even in John chapter three, it's not like we're born neutral. One of these days I'll figure out which side I'm on. No, we're born condemned. Is that not what the text says? Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's the only two Two options is to remain condemned in your rebellion or to trust in Jesus, to have your sins cleansed and forgiven, to be adopted into his family forevermore. And I just ask you, what is your response to Jesus? Will you believe and be saved or will you remain in your unbelief and condemned? Men and women will either rise because of Christ or they will fall. You know, this year, many Christmas presents didn't quite get here on time. Maybe that gift you ordered will eventually arrive, but in the meantime, it's at a processing center somewhere with UPS or FedEx. 
awaiting its delivery. Well, brothers and sisters, Simeon is here to remind us that while there was a period of waiting for God's gift of salvation, it did arrive, and it arrived perfectly on time. For when the fullness of God and his great plan, fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus has arrived. Salvation has come, and salvation is yours for the taking if you would but look to Christ and rest in him completely for your salvation. And as Christians, what, great, what greater joy do we have than to know that the very thing that we needed most has been ultimately provided for us freely from our perspective, but at great cost from God's perspective, has given for us a salvation that we could have never achieved on our own. Friends, Jesus has come. And Jesus has brought us salvation. But you know, we're in another season of waiting, aren't we? For Jesus has promised to come again. And so let us, like Simeon, be found faithfully waiting for that final day when Jesus will come in splendor and in glory for his people. And he will make all things new as he brings us to himself for all eternity when he ushers in the fullness of his kingdom forever. Christmas is worth the wait. And Simeon would say it was much worth the wait. Friends, Christ is coming again. And it's worth the wait as we long for that day when he will come for the second time. And you know what? He will come. We may go hundreds of years, we may go thousands of years. It may be silent, it may seem dark. But Christmas reminds us that God keeps his word and that we have something glorious awaiting us. Let's look forward to that day because of this day as we wait for our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the great hope that you have instilled within us through Christ. We thank you that on this Christmas day that we can come and celebrate the coming of a Savior into the world, or the very one who left the glories and perfections of heaven, who would come and live life in the darkness and imperfections of earth, ultimately yielding himself to a cross bearing the guilt and punishment for our sin so that whoever would look to him and trust in him could be saved and reconciled to you. Father, my prayer is that if there are any who are here today who do not know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, would you move upon their hearts? Would you open their eyes and through their unbelief work a miracle of redemption just as you've done for so many others? Father, for those of us who are here who have been walking with you for some time or maybe even as of late, Lord, my prayer is that this reminder this morning would be just your grace to us in reminding us what you have provided, that our hearts would be full and our lives would be found faithful. 
Just like Simeon, a righteous man, filled with your spirit, waiting upon you. God, would you give us that same posture? Would you help us to be a righteous people, filled with your spirit, waiting upon you, O God? Lord, we love you and we thank you that you loved us and gave yourself for us. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.